Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. Dave Martino is here, seeing his way through the Canadian smoke. I know, you're saying it all our way, Al. It's my fault. It's my yes. you know, it's just it's how I work. You know? let's, <laughs> let's get that blowing smoke up your ass. That's right. That's right. I said that to someone. They got upset. The sun was red. I don't know about the moon. The moon. The moon. The moon is gone. <laughs> yeah, we sold it for cheese. That's right. Um, okay. Well, let's let's move on today. Our our guest today. We've got uh, someone that's got a new uh, documentary film. Out or coming out. We'll talk about all the release dates and where you can get it. Now, it's called Americon, and we've got the director, uh, Sean Claffey. So thank you for being here, Sean. Thank you so much for having me. Sean, what's going on here? You've got this movie out, or the, coming out. Tell us what the um, basic premise or what, what, what it is about that you want people to uh, see in this movie. Well, basically, it's a, a film about income inequality, the fall of the middle class, uh, and most importantly, the erosion of the path to the middle class uh, in America. But it's not just in America. It's really a world, worldwide story uh, happening uh, all over. What, what made you decide to do this? Well, uh, so I was approached by um, Dave Pedersen, uh, who's the, who was the producer of Supersize Me, and uh, Jeff Mann, uh, also another producer, uh, which they came with this, with an idea about doing a film about income inequality. And, uh, coming from a immigrant family, you know, my, my grandparents immigrated from Ireland in the, in the twenties. And, you know, when they first, they came out of abject poverty and then came to the United States and kind of worked as servants until, uh, you know, the, the new deal was put in effect, the labor protections were put in effect. And they were able to ascend rapidly into the, the working class and then the, the, the middle class in America, which, uh, you know, was a great benefit to our family. But then in, during my lifetime, I've slowly watched it and now more increasingly, well, more quickly have watched the, uh, fall of the, of the middle class. And, uh, you know, we've basically seen a redistribution of about $50 trillion from the bottom 90%. Of Americans to the top one percent. That's not sustainable, and that's you know it's really an existential threat to democracy here. What do you attribute that to? Uh, is it is it um, the system of capitalism itself, or do you think it's um, the let's say unregulated or less regulated 
corporations or how what do you apply it to well we had you know capitalism during uh you know after the depression and all the way through 1975 and people did great but what what has happened is about 1968 to 70 milton friedman his doctrine of basically dismantling the new deal and the protections on the middle class the protections of the workers his true belief almost a religious belief that the only purpose of a corporation is for its profits. It's not for social building, you know, a good middle class, uh, not for workers, not for the environment, not for anything. And that idea was adopted through a lot of, the, you know, the business schools and certainly picked up by the Koch brothers who instituted a plan that, you know, basically funded all these lobbyists and installed all the Supreme Court judges and the federal judges the federal society and uh, really has taken away the power of the voting people. So it was slow at first, you know, and then Reagan really put it into high gear uh, by crushing the, the air traffic controllers. And then it was basically uh, open season on, on all, the, all the workers' protections and the unions in the country. Yeah, I was going to say that the Reagan era was the first big crush on the middle class, um, as far as I see it. Yeah, the plan started about 10, 12 years before, but once they got Reagan in, in office, then it really exploded. I, you know, I have to wonder, but what what's the end game for um, corporations or, or the, the, the high-end money? What's the end game? Because they, they've got so much now, and by continuing to do what they do, like, you know, after the COVID and then all the prices go up, but yet, you know, chains of, of grocery stores are making re record profits, so it's not like they're giving up anything. So what's the answer to that? I mean, because I, I don't understand where, where they want to take it because they just want they want a revolution or they just want people to be homeless? Like, what, what is the end game of, of, of the rich, so to speak? You know, several of the experts in the film, we, we also follow families that, that are going through this, but several of the experts in, in the film, um, like Kurt Anderson, you know, states that basically they're, gonna, they're killing the golden goose. Nick Hanauer, who's a billionaire himself, basically states that capitalism won't work if no one has any money, right? Because there's no one to buy the stuff. And that there's sort of this almost hysterical or um, hallucinatory idea that I'm not going to pay my employees enough to buy my stuff, but every other CEO has to pay their employees enough to buy my stuff. That doesn't make any sense at all. And in the long term, they're going to they're gonna crash it all. But really, the, C, you know, the CEOs now, the majority of the large businesses, they didn't found those companies, right? So they're in it for the, the short-term quarterly profits. And once they achieve those profits for eight quarters or 12 quarters, they bail out with a massive package. You know, they're making $30 million a year. Maybe they bail out with $150 million at the end because they hit their numbers or, or more. But they don't care. They're not thinking long-term. They're thinking about uh, what can I get – now and you know the the old thing from Wall Street the movie and it was like uh, what do you want more well I think it's even worse than that now I think it's they want it all well what's the point if if the country falls apart and everyone's in a bad state like <laughs> I, I I I just don't see a a happy ending here no and and one thing I do say often is what are they going to do they're going to live in a bunker in New Zealand and hope they're 
their security team doesn't turn on them? I mean, it doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. But, you know, psychologically, I think our producer, Jeff Mann, says this often. And I, I didn't necessarily agree with him in the beginning, but I think I agree with him now that it's almost a hoarding uh, psychological issue. So it's an obsessive thing that it may not, it's not good, good for the country or society. And it, in the end, it probably won't be good for them either. But it's sort of this, this obsession to hoard wealth that is really, uh, at play here. And then, you know, and then, you know, some of those CEOs set that tone and then the other ones just want to match it. So when you set out to do this film and it's taken you some time, how did you go about it, and how were people when you were going out making the film and interviewing? We, we grabbed a couple of cameras, threw it in the back of my station wagon. We drove across country and did a bunch of interviews with like Nick Hanauer, April Sims, uh, who's a labor leader out there, and we just we just we just started right. Um, and then as we were going, we started meeting more people, and you know we shot in twenty three states. Uh, we drove 32,000 miles crisscrossing because, you know, if you're, if you're filming with a, a family, you know, you have to go back several times to see the changes that are happening. But the, the eye-opening thing was that everyone we spoke to, and not just on camera, but, you know, you know just traveling so much, understood that there's a problem, but doesn't understand why. And then when they've been suffering for so long, for decades, you know, basically, especially rural America, whose wages are half of what they were in 1975, they get angry. And then they're easily manipulated. And that's what you're seeing. You're seeing these people who have been angry, they've been promised the world by every politician, and now they're pissed. And they're like, you know what? You know, every week I, I work 40, 50, 60 hours, and I'm worse off at the end of the week than I was at the beginning of the week. How about we just burn it all, you know, burn it all, not all of them, but some of them, you know, burn it all down. It's really troubling. What do you hope uh, the movie does? Well, making the movie, you know, we, we ran into a bunch of people that are making massive changes and are organizing and getting together and fighting back. And that really gives me a lot of hope, especially with the, the younger generation. You know, we're fo following Chris Smalls, and he basically... Him and, like, a seven-person team went up against the most powerful employer and, at the time, the richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos, and was able to do the biggest unionization uh, in 75 years in Staten Island, New York, where they unionized the, the warehouse there. And basically 9,000 people unionized all at once without a backing union, you know, just grassroots from, from, from scratch. Bezos spent $25 million to defeat them, had them arrested, all sorts of stuff, and they still won. So if seven people who have nothing, they had nothing, were able to do that, imagine what, if we all come together and demand it be fairer, what could happen? And, it, you know, we did, we did this before in this country, you know. In, in the 20s, it was just the depression and incredible in, in inequality, uh, income inequality and wealth inequality. And they, they flipped that, and they were able to build the greatest middle class in the world. So I have a lot of hope. Well, you know, you mentioned uh, back in 1975. And, you know, I remember back in the 1980s when, um, you know, I had, uh, uh, well, it was, it was basically friends of family and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, family friends who, uh, who were uh, factory workers. 
And uh, back then we had a lot of factories in this country with good jobs. Do you, uh, do you think that uh, bringing back manufacturing to the United States is part of the answer? I think that's part of it. I think there is so much money here that there is no reason why anyone that works hard shouldn't have a good life. There is absolutely no reason. This, this uh, raising wages kills job, jobs is a complete fallacy. It is, it is a negotiating tactic to negotiate against all employees all at once. If no one has any money, who's going to buy the stuff, right? You know, that's, that's what Nick Hanauer says in our film. And it's really, when I was young, you could work in a hardware store, not own the hardware store, work in a hardware store, have a house that you own and a car and go on vacation. You could uh, be a cashier and get a pension. And now that, you know, and we could, that could happen right now. Any of, you know, especially Bezos, he could raise his wages to 30 bucks an hour tomorrow. He'd still be one of the richest men in the world. Well, we did the math, you know, he wouldn't be, I think he's like three or four right now. He, you know, maybe he'd be eight. There'll be zero change in his lifestyle. And all the other companies would have to match. And with the change that would bring, you know, we're seeing these suicide rates go up, the drug addiction go up. These are all, you know, direct results of people just giving up, you know. It, it, it's sad. Why do you think Bezos, like, I don't want to just pick on him because it could be. No, and we shouldn't. No. He's, it, just, he's just one of them. No, yeah, he's just one. That's sort of what I mean. But, but people like him who actually started out as a an average person, let's just say, working, and has created something that's done really well and it's been very successful and it's made him a lot of money. I always wonder, but it's not just him. There's several of these billionaire people that have made it, but they seem to get really tight when they get up at the top. Like they're not really... It's almost like they don't remember where they come from. Yeah, like the owner of Starbucks, who grew up not far from me in the, in the projects in Brooklyn. Right. And, um, yeah, I think they, they start believing their PR, right, that they are so great and so better than everyone else, and then they stop viewing regular people as uh, worthy. And, you know, that's tragic. It's almost a narcissism, you know, or maybe it is a narcissism. I think that word's used too much, but they didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. It was, in the beginning, it was probably a couple dozen people or, you know, a few people that helped them. I'm sure they all worked very, very hard, um, and I get that, and they should be rewarded, but not at the cost of, you know, the collapsing the middle class. Or seeing authoritarianism rise here. It's not, you know, we're seeing the regurgitation of, of you know, messaging we heard that was heard in the, in, the, in the 30s, you know, that it's the, you know, it's the refugees to blame. It's the, depending on where you are, you know, the, the people coming off the, across the border that's to blame. It's, the, you know, it's people that don't look like me that's to blame. It's the different religions to blame. You know, this is a, that's very dangerous rhetoric that's going around. And that's that's not just... You know, on on you know dark web pages. I mean, that's in national news. Yeah, yeah. You see it in political parties now. It's not. Yeah, it's not. It's nothing that is hidden. It's very open. I just, I just don't quite understand uh, why it goes that way. Well, I mean, I guess I understand it, but I just think it's it's crazy. So you said you had hope, and that uh, you see things, uh, good things happening and stuff. What do you think the answer is? Help us out here. Yeah, so the only answer is that you you have to organize. So the only way to combat 
immense wealth is by immense numbers. And we are still able to vote here in this country. So uh, we need to vote out everyone that is not helping build up the middle class and through messaging show what's really going on. You know, when you when you can have Amazon has 2,500 lobbyists, I mean, when you have that many lobbyists, you know, it, it, it's insane. You know, we have to get rid of these politicians that are taking the, you know, the, the political money. Um, I mean, that needs to be our focus. Also, you know, getting people elected on a, on a local and state levels. What we've seen, what we're seeing in, in um, Minnesota right now is amazing, you know, and, and in Michigan, you know, they, they, they've achieved incredible things by, by uh, just in the last few months uh, by getting, the, you know, the right people in, in, in place there. And, and getting the message out so people understand. It, it, was, it, was, it was troubling to me that people didn't understand what was going on. They knew every, that everything was wrong, you know, that something was wrong, but they weren't uh, sure why. So that's, that's my job, and people like me need to get that, get, get that out there. And, and everyone else is spread, you know, spreading the message. Well, there's, there's so much um, attention given to things that don't really matter. Like uh, even the politicians, all they talk about, you know, the, the you know the don't say gay or or it's there's always some sort of thing um that they're talking about and it's not about how things are running do you know what i mean like it's it's not like, so do you know why do you know why they're, they're talking about those specific things so um the Koch brothers but not just Koch brothers right fund these think tanks right like the heritage foundation or cato or these different ones that uh do polling and they find out what are wedge issues? You know what, and and how do they you know, and how to ask that question the right way to make it a wedge issue? So whether it's the the school stuff where uh, oh you, you know they're they're teaching your kids things that are gonna you know go against your beliefs or you know so they start banning all the books so then that all of a sudden that becomes uh, uh, a major wedge wedge issue or the you know, they're trying to make the children pedophiles. Well, that's a regurgitation of what they were talking about in Germany, right, uh, where the, the, the Jewish people were doing bad things to the children, right? They know how to – they're not offering anything for the people, right? So they have to, they have to uh, make these issues so that they, the people turn on, on, on each other. And it's planned. It's like, it's like they're like, kind of like an advertising agency, that they that goes through this marketing plan and then they disseminate these these talking points on a, a daily or weekly basis to all the politicians. So you end up getting people that vote against probably their what would be better for them just because they don't want a drag queen reading to their kids or reading in a library or something like they talk about oh. that, you know these things that really aren't affecting their life, period. It wouldn't be part of their life if it wasn't something they weren't told. Yeah, it's, it's manufactured. You know, if someone wearing a dress, drinking a beer you don't like already, and you're obsessing about that's in the news cycle for how long? I mean, that's all, that's all on purpose. Yeah. And, you know, so the abortion, it would used to be abortion and guns, right? That was, that was their go-tos. Um, and now, now they won the abortion thing. So they have to reinvent other things. And this is, this is the scariest part. Um, I mean, you're seeing this not just in this country, but also in Hungary, in Poland, certainly in the so uh, in Russia, that they're trying to abuse your children. They're trying to make your children gay. They're, they're pedophiles. 
So we need to enact these laws that will just temporarily take away your freedoms. But because your children are in danger, you're, you'll be willing to do that, and we'll promise we'll give those back. Poland just lost their uh, – they lost the free judicial system a couple of years ago, and they're proposing a law now that the current administration can deny anyone from running for office it chooses. You know, Hungary lost uh, their judicial system and their free press. Israel is on the verge of losing their judicial system. The federal society has changed our Supreme Court for probably 10, 20 years. Yeah, it's not, it's not good. It's not a good foresight. Did you get any blowback yourself, like when you were out there doing this kind of work and trying to put together the film and talking to people? Did you get any um, negative response? Um, yeah, we, we had the cops called on us a bunch of times, uh, especially when we were in uh, Orlando filming uh, there was this uh, apartment complex that was fill, filled with sil- single moms, and they would just abuse them, you know. So the landlords would call the cops on me all the time. Uh, but then I would just talk to the cops, and I'd tell them what the landlord was doing. And they were like, what? <laughs> and I kinda, I turned their opinion against the landlords. And one of the guys was, like, abusive to the women. And he said, well, if you see him, call us up, and we'll, we'll, we'll arrest him. I, I, I find that when I talk to people in a calm manner um, and explain, they get it. Yeah, most people are, you know, unless they're extreme or they're, you know. So do you think you'll get, uh, when this comes out, um, do you think you're going to get some media, you know, Tucker Carlson coming after you? Oh, uh, that would be great. I would love to talk to Tucker or Sean Hannity. That would be amazing. It's really hard to argue against um, building up the middle class or, you know, making the middle class number one or the path to middle class number one. It's almost impossible. How do you argue against that? You can stutter. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm for de- you know, I'm basically for democracy, the middle class, and the path of the middle class for every hardworking American. And uh, if if you're not for that, or <laughs> I I don't know what to say. <laughs> and I've I've trust me, I've I've talked to many conservative people, you know, and you know they they even except I mean, there are some that are you know you're just never going to get to right. Uh, they're almost, almost like a religious uh, fanaticism. For most people, they know that something's wrong, and you start telling them why, and they you just see that their their eye in the glint, and they're like they start to put it together. Um, and anyone that watches the film, you can't unsee this film. You know, and it's not just about experts. We, we you know we follow all these families uh, that are suffering, and 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 then some that triumph. You know, you know, it's not a it doesn't end. It's not like a depressive movie. It's it's an inspirational movie about a, a depressing subject. And uh, in the end, you know, you really do come away with uh, wanting to do something to make change. Yeah, but how do we know you're not anti? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't really even know what they are. You know, I. I <laughs> It's a false uh, flag. This is Alex Jones is going to come after you. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, Alex Jones is a pretty awful person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a good friend of mine had uh, their kids in uh, that I grew up with in, in uh, Sandy Hook, and uh, he's an evil, evil person. Yeah. Uh, he went after them, caused them to to have to move like six times, sending his uh, nut jobs after them after after their kid was killed. <laughs> Pretty yeah. crazy, you know that that guy. So, so now, where are people going to be able to see this? Let's talk about the uh, release date and uh, places, and and what what can you tell us about that? Sure. So, uh, it, theatrically, it's being released on June 9th, uh, Friday, from um, in New York and LA. You can go to our website at www.americond.com. 
and get all the information on how to see it. It'll be um, released for streaming on June 13th um, in North America, and it'll be in many different places, Apple, TV, iTunes, Tubi, YouTube, uh, and many others. And you can just go to the website and click and, and choose the one you like the best and, and, and see it. Uh, it's, it's available right now for pre-order on Apple and iTunes uh, to buy uh, for 12 bucks. And I, I think that to rent it, it's going to be around 5 bucks or something. Okay. Well, we'll have all of that up on the website as well so people can find it easily. Again, uh, the movie, A Mary Cond. The director's with us. That's uh, Sean Claffey. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, John. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is the production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.